Welcome to Bar Fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein. Taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural, and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados, and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now, leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein. Hey, you guys, and welcome to Bar Fights in this new year. 2023. I'm so pumped to be back with you guys to spend another year together. Um, I have promised from the very beginning that on this show, we are going to do two things. We're going to inform you and we're going to inspire you. And I know that we have had tremendous success in 2022 doing just that with amazing, amazing guests. Um, and we're going to do the same thing this year. We're going to keep outdoing ourselves on this little show. Um, I'll share with you guys something cool I just learned today. We started this show summer of 2022, so not that long ago. <laughs> and we're already up to 35,000 individual listeners every single show. I like to think of us as the little engine that could. I'm a lawyer from small town Michigan who has 35,000 amazing human beings listening to what we have to share every week. And so I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired by you guys showing up, keep showing up, keep sharing this show. And I will absolutely keep bringing my A game um, with amazing human beings on our show, which leads me to today's show. I'm so excited to have our guest here today. He is a lot of different things. Not only is he a revolutionary recovery expert, he's a best-selling author, he's a highly sought-after speaker, he has written all sorts of books, helped countless people, um, he's a guest on other people's podcasts, I think he even has his own podcast, which we'll look at today. Um, I can't wait to talk to this person. He is the creator of something called the Conscious Recovery Method. And I think this, this conversation around addiction is not only always important, especially when we're talking about sexual trauma or childhood sexual trauma, um, but also it's the first week of January. Um, and I know that topic is coming up. I'm seeing all these posts online about dry January and I'm not going to drink the, all this stuff. So this conversation um, is more relevant than ever. And we're also going to talk about the topic of forgiveness. It's something that I thought would be perfect to start off this new year. Um, it's something that is important as we walk into new, a new year to really look at what we're still carrying and how we can unload some of that and where we need to unload some of that so that we can live a lighter 2023. So TJ Woodward, my guest today, welcome to Bar Fights. Oh my gosh, Sarah, thank you. I'm so excited to be here and so grateful for your work in the world. And I love that 35,000 people so far are checking in. <laughs> because 
it's such an important topic and I person I have personal experience and then many many years of working with people who have sexual trauma so I'm very very grateful to kick off the new year with this conversation yay well thank you also for just saying that about having experience with this topic I always say on this show we're here to blow the paradigm of shame around that topic out of the water and to show faces and names behind the what was once elusive sort of hidden topic of of sexual trauma. I just, I love that when people have the bravery and courage to, to put their names and faces around the topic. So awesome. So I'm dying to hear everything. Start with me just about the topic of addiction, addiction, recovery, all of your amazing work around that. What was your journey um, that brought you to that work? Well, my journey started with my own personal experience of getting sober in 1986. Wow. Just full transparency. When I was about 18 months, maybe two years sober, I found myself suicidal and I had felt so grateful to be sober and get my life back because, you know, I had reached a point of absolute emptiness, absolute bankruptcy, about to lose my job, about to lose my house, the whole thing. And when I got sober, it was like this beautiful experience and then came 18 months sober ish. And I hadn't yet resolved all the underlying issues that were leading to or contributing to the addiction. And so I found myself wanting to die. And I met a woman who changed my life, who took me on a very different kind of recovery journey. And that now has become my life's work, healing the underlying root causes In my experience, the underlying root causes are unresolved trauma, spiritual disconnection, and toxic shame. And you already mentioned two of them. So I think it's really great that we're having this conversation. Yeah, for sure. And and we were saying before the show, but I want to say it again on air. In the work that I do as a lawyer representing survivors, I cannot stress enough the common theme of substance abuse, of drug abuse, alcohol abuse. And it's obvious, you know, in some respects, why that is right. We want to put that trauma in a box and stuff it down. Um, And it's also easily accessible. It's out there. It's become very socially acceptable to be drunk all the time. I, I can't tell you as a mother, the culture of like, Moms with little kids drunk every night, you know, because, oh, it's so hard. And, and it's become acceptable, right? So, so unresolved trauma, shame, those kinds of things, we see them leading to, to alcohol and drug abuse. W- what do people listening who are currently in that cycle, what's the ba- first little baby step that, that started to put your life on a different how do you how do you break that cycle? How do you get out of it? Yeah, I mean, I think starting with looking at what addiction is and what it isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about addiction, we tend to look at it as something that's bad or wrong, um, whether that's conscious or unconscious. And so I come in with my model, conscious recovery, which is really just my own experience of how I healed the underlying root causes. We start with looking at addiction as a brilliant strategy. How did it help you? How did it serve you, right? And start to look at what it's managing. You know, you mentioned um, a lot of different types of what we might call addiction. And in its simplest form, addiction is looking for someone or something to heal that which feels broken within. So if we start by saying, oh, you're, you're bad for having an addiction, 
all we're doing is adding more shame to it. So we start by saying, let's look, let's normalize this. Let's look at what you have done to manage and have as much tenderness and gentleness with yourself as possible. Then invite us to start looking at what, what it is we're trying to either escape from or shift or change or numb out. And that can come in the form of um, sex, shopping, eating, not eating, um, drinking, overspending. I mean, the list goes on and on. And in its simplest form, what we want to invite is let's look at how that has actually helped you. And now let's start doing some of the healing work so that we don't have to have that outer search for wholeness. I'm like completely in the first five minutes of this conversation blown away because every single person can relate to one of those things on your list, right? I'm like, oh, internet shopping late at night. Been there, you know, um, you know, eating stuff, right? Having too much wine, like all of those numbing techniques. I don't really know anybody very well that I think doesn't at some point in their life turn to several of those, right? Yeah, I think it's it's so prevalent that many of us don't really think think of it as addiction, just in the same way that trauma is so prevalent that we often don't think experiences in our life are traumatic. We're waking up now and saying, wow, there is a lot of collective trauma happening in our culture. And the response quite often is try to find something to manage that, heal that, numb that. And once we normalize that, instead of adding more shame to it, because we're we're talking about shame here. And especially as it relates to sexual trauma, there's often shame and there's even self-blame, even though we can intellectually say you didn't do it or it wasn't your fault. Something about the child brain, we blame ourselves when it wasn't our fault. We go into shame. And so we don't want to add shame to it in the recovery process. And I think that's the foundational, that's the, the beginning of it. We normalize it. We say, this is an experience so many people have. Now let's start to unravel that and look, because, you know, I worked with someone, Dr. Christine Pappas, and she's amazing. She's an eating disorder specialist. And I facilitated a group with her once. And her check-in question for people who had some kind of disordered eating was, what are you really hungry for? Mm. And I found myself in tears because I heard people saying, I'm hungry for connection. I'm hungry for love. I'm hungry to be seen. And they were using food or, you know, eating, overeating or undereating because that they were trying to get that love and connection. And that's the, that, so that's the first step, I think, is let's remove the shame from it and start to look at its usefulness or not usefulness from a place of non-judgment and curiosity. I, I like just even took a page of notes on that. I mean, I'm learning so much. So I love the idea of flipping that narrative from the very, very beginning of, I don't need to hide what's going on with me. Instead, I need to thank myself for having the tools at that time to protect myself from this or that. Right. And, and that was a good thing, but now maybe it's no longer serving me. And let's get underneath what will serve me, which is that you said that love, that connection, that worthiness, that, you know, that sense of um, control in our lives or whatever it is, that thing that we're searching for that's underneath our choice to numb out, to self-harm, to all of that. And, you know, something just came to mind 
I wonder your thoughts on this. What do you think about the addiction of technology, right? Of iPhones, of useless, mindless scrolling, numbing, looking at other people's lives. I, I see that all the time with the kids, even the, the kids and the teenagers. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's, that's a pandemic right now. Right. And if yes. we, I think if we even go a little bit deeper, one of the things that our culture is addicted to, and this is where it ties into our topic, it's blame and finger pointing, right? We see this happening. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it's new, but it's so available. It's at our fingertips now, right? The divisiveness, the blame, the finger pointing, and all, and like you said, just being on social media, the, you know, the, the, um, the rush in our brain that happens when we hear the notification. I mean, there's a lot of science behind why we're so addicted to our phones and all the, you know, I think about like how many different ways we receive messages now, email, text, LinkedIn, Facebook. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? And we're so now focused on that. And so, it's maybe a little cliche to say unplug from that, but what we want to invite in this conversation is what's really happening underneath all of this and how do we start to reconnect with ourselves? The foundational principle of my work is that we came into the world as a whole and perfect being and then life happened. We could use a different word. Blank happened, right? We hear that. Um, and that is we get programmed to believe that we're damaged or broken. And that usually comes from unconscious adults, even including something as um, significant as sexual trauma. We then have the experience and we make a core decision. And I'll put it in the eye. I made core decisions about myself. I'm not good enough, I'm unlovable, and I'm unworthy. And those core decisions became the narrative and the frequency of my life. Wow. And I'm just thinking, you know, I'm sure people are listening going, I can't go there. I can't get underneath. I need to take that drink because I'm too scared of what I'm going to find when I look under the hood. What would you say to that person? Well, I think there's two ways to answer that. One is um, find support, right? Mm -hmm. find a great counselor, a great therapist, a great coach, a support group. That's key because we want to feel safe enough to start to do it. In addition to that, the inner work is really um, how can I be present with myself? And like, like you just said, that was my story. I ran, even in my sobriety, even after I started doing a lot of work, I, I was on a spiritual path. You know, I was doing a lot of things that were um, helping myself to heal. But foundationally, or at that, one of the deepest parts of my experience was, I can't feel this. It's mm -hmm. too scary. Mm -hmm. And so I spent, honestly, my entire 20s and most of my 30s running from the, the experience of presence. So what I want to say, and this, this is maybe a beginning point, I'll ask it as a question. What if you actually do have the ability to sit with the emotion, even if it's for 30 seconds and be present with what comes up? You know, we know that mindfulness and meditation are amazing tools and it's not because we want to unplug. It's because we actually want to plug in learn how to feel, learn how to be present. And what I discovered is the sexual trauma, for example, that I was running from throughout my 20s and 30s, once I had the ability to, to turn toward it, it was almost like, wow, I have so much more strength and power than I ever realized. This mm. whole time I was running from it. Wow. 
That's so powerful. And I love what you said about meditation. Cause I've, I'm guilty of thinking of it as a way to unplug your racing mind and a way to relax and a way to whatever. What if it is about plugging in to that, that energy of who you really are? Um, another question just came to mind that I want to ask you, you know, I, as somebody who experienced early childhood trauma, I often say it wasn't that my sen- I lost my sense of self. It was that I never even had one. I didn't know what I liked or didn't like or, you know, whatever. Do you notice when, when people um, are living in, I don't even know how to say it, in an addictive state or living with addiction, um, that sometimes when they do plug in, they go, well, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know like, have you ever seen adults that kind of go through the, your process and, and start to heal themselves, but find that they're a bit of a blank slate? Does that question even, even make sense to you? <laughs> oh, it makes absolute sense to me because what you're pointing to is what I would say the majority of people I work with, like, who would I be without this? Yes. I, I don't even know who I am. And sometimes with heartbreak and honesty, people say, I don't remember being whole and perfect. I don't remember being connected with myself. I came into an experience where I separated at such an early age. I have no idea who I am. And so so what we're talking about here is a deeper healing than just let me discover who I am as a personality. What you said Mm -hmm. is who I really am. And I love that Mm -hmm. because that is the process of unraveling, you know, when we're, when we're really young and uh, for any of us who have had early, early childhood trauma, our brains aren't even developed enough to understand, right? So we've been, we, we were taught um, if I am bad, and this is a child's brain, if I'm bad, people get upset with me. If I'm good, I get rewarded. And then something like sexual trauma happens where it feels like something horrific just happened. I must be bad. Right. And the the childhood, the the early childhood brain development doesn't understand what just happened is a horrific thing. That's the trauma of the other person, not mine. We end up taking it on. And here's the key. We don't really change that only using our minds. Right. Because we can intellectually understand that it wasn't our fault. We can intellectually understand that what happened was horrific but we might have, or, and we might have a very deep part of ourselves that still feels like we were bad or wrong, or we're blaming ourselves, or we have shame about it. Um, You know, working with men, for example, who had sexual trauma, a lot of them, even to acknowledge that it happened is so huge because of our culture and what it means to be male. And I can't ever even tell someone this. So there are layers of shame And usually we've developed these um, core ideas about ourselves or what I call core false beliefs when our brains weren't even developed enough to understand what happened. A hundred percent. One that, that has always come up for me and still to this day does, if I don't behave, I won't get love. Right. So just smile, be friendly, be nice, you know, suck it up. Don't tell somebody how you're feeling behave. And somebody said to me recently, Sarah, behave is not an adult word. Like, like adults aren't talking about like, do I, did I behave well enough? Did I not behave well enough? Like, why are you 40 mid forties? Right. 
and, and still deciding whether you behaved well enough, right? Like that was one where I go, oh yeah, I brought that from a long time ago, you know, but I can imagine that there are multitudes of those kind of beliefs that each of us is carrying some that serve us, some that absolutely do not that drive us to want to bury it all and just drink a bottle of wine, you know? And, you know, it's uh, the, the, the concept for me is this idea that we have core false beliefs and then brilliant strategies. Uh-huh. The core false belief is usually starts with I am or I am not. I am not worthy. I'm not good enough. And again, remember that we decided this usually when we're so young, it doesn't need to make logical sense. And we don't talk ourselves out of it as adults. That's what usually, I think that's what usually happens where I try to tell myself I am worthy and I try to start acting more worthy. And all of that is important. And then there's this other place where it's like, wow, I decided that when I was six, mm-hmm. let me go in and spend some time with my six-year-old and give that six-year-old the love and attention that I needed, which really is tied into our topic of forgiveness. Yes. Right? Yeah. 100%. Let's go there. Let's go into forgiveness. So this is a tricky topic, right? I, I, I have thought about it for, for a good, at least maybe two or three years. I um, participated in a, a book that Catherine Schwarzenegger Pratt wrote called the gift of forgiveness. And she asked me to define forgiveness. And she wrote a whole chapter about my story. And I'm going at the time, I don't even know if I even know what it is, or if I've ever practiced it, or if it's a practice, or if it's a one moment in time. And, and how we forgive ourselves is a topic that I think I still don't have answers to. So TJ, walk me through it. What are your thoughts on this very huge topic? It's a very huge topic. And what I'll say is what I have discovered for myself in my own journey, that forgiveness is not about good or bad or right or wrong. It's about shifting my awareness and shifting my consciousness. So what does that actually mean? Most of the time when we talk about forgiveness, the narrative sounds something like this. This person did something that was really horrific to me but I need to find a way to forgive them so that I can, I don't know, be free or so that, that sounds about right. Yes. Or I've done something that is so horrific. I don't even know if I can ever tell anyone. Mm-hmm. I have so much shame. How could I possibly forgive myself? Because what I did was wrong. Mm-hmm. And so when we're in that paradigm, this might sound a little provocative or maybe even controversial. If that's the paradigm, I don't even know if forgiveness is possible. Because at that level of awareness, at that level of awareness, I don't even know if there's any way to forgive. And I don't even know if that's what is required. When we look at forgiveness as a shift in consciousness, what we're talking about is elevating the way I view the story. So what I'm not saying is what happened to you didn't happen or- get over it. Because sometimes, honestly, people say things like that, like just forgive and move on. Right. And what we're not talking about is that what I am talking about, though, is many of us are still carrying a story about the event, either it's something I did or something that happened. And that story is keeping it alive in me. And because of that, I continue to give my power away. 
And so forgiveness, and I actually have changed it to making peace with the past Mm -hmm. because forgiveness is like, oh, good, bad, right, wrong. Making peace with the past is, am I ready to find peace? Am I ready to elevate myself beyond the story? And again, I'm not saying pretend like it didn't happen because a lot of people do that. So we want to first acknowledge that it actually happened or that I actually did it. Maybe if it's something I did, I have to clean it up. But this is this this is the, the simplest way I can say it. When I have caused harm in the world, it's because I believed I was damaged or broken. Hmm. And can I have compassion for myself in the midst of that? So compassion and awareness and understanding is what story do I continue to carry around about myself because of the event? And is it possible for me to make peace regardless of what has happened? So hopefully that is, it's kind of a beginning overview of what to me forgiveness is and what it isn't. A hundred percent. So let's take an example of something happened to me. Um, So-and-so committed something against me. Walk me through how I need to make, how I need to walk through that model. Well, let's let's use sexual trauma because- It's, the t- it's, you know, it's your topic and the important work you're doing in this. And what we start with is first acknowledging that it indeed happened. Um, for mm-hmm. me, um, my sexual trauma was at such a young age that to this day, I don't have exact memories of what happened. Mm-hmm. But in my 20s and 30s, I kept saying, gosh, I have symptoms of someone who has sexual trauma in my relationships, in my body experiences, when I'm around um, sex or sexuality or exposure to anything, I I would literally start to shake. I would Mm -hmm. literally have tremors. And so starting with the acknowledgement that it happened, then we go into what, what did I decide about myself because of the event? Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes we're not exactly in touch with it, but many of us can say, It was at that moment I decided I was broken. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, we don't change that, you know, only in the mind. Oh, of course you're not broken. That happened to you. You didn't do that. You were only four, right? All Mm -hmm. of the things we do. Mm -hmm. So when we go into making peace with the past, we first say, what were the core decisions I made about myself in the world? Mm -hmm. And what has that created in my life? Mm -hmm. And would I like a different reality? In other words, I've, you know, I've worked with people who are still wanting someone to apologize Mm -hmm. or someone to make it right. And sometimes I've worked with people who the person's not even alive Yeah, and they're still giving their power away. And I want to start with compassion for that. Of course, of course. So what we're inviting is now, are you ready to take that power back and have a different conclusion? And so we go back to the event. And I'm not saying we have to re- remember and re-traumatize yeah, ourselves mm-hmm. in the memory of the event. We go back and say, what did I decide about myself? Yep. And from a place of tenderness, start to care for that young self. And here are the key, for me, the inner child work is, is three fra- phrases. It's okay to feel that way. You're safe now. And I'm here for you. Oh. And so beginning to have a relationship with that younger self so that we can actually start to heal it at its root. And you see what I didn't say was, you know, what happened was okay, or, you know, just move on. It was really like, yes, this happened. 
We're going to unplug from the situation and plug into what's still alive with us in our bodies. And we're going to start to heal that. And to me, that's really what making peace means. That is so incredibly powerful. When you said you're safe now, I'm going back to every bad decision and bad choices and unkind choices and, you know, self-destructive to all the things, all the yuck in my adult life can probably be attributed to a core belief of you are not safe. Right. Right. And that is the key because um, many of us, when we have a trauma, like a sexual trauma, not only is it a violation of our body and our spirit and our mind and every, every part of ourselves was violated, but then we go into secrecy about it quite often. You know, we have people that aren't even believed when they finally have the courage to tell. So there's a sense, there's something that happens in the nervous system where we're guarded and of course, my behavior is going to reflect that, right? So like, like we started the show with compassion, of course, all of my behavior was an outward search for safety. The truth is the only safety that's really going to heal is internal safety. And the only person that can really bring that to ourselves is ourselves. Doesn't mean we don't you know, require support groups and mentors and, and people to help us walk through it. Ultimately, though, it's really about a relationship with self. Well, and how many people have I seen over the years searching high and low for that quick fix of this man is going to make me feel safe. This amount of money would make me feel if I buy my fifth car, I'll feel better, right? Like we're searching, searching, searching. And like you said, ultimately, that ability to feel safe um, resides within us, which as we also started by saying, this is heavy duty work. Um, this is heavy duty work where we have to be honest and have to probably want things to change, um, and want to live a different, a different kind of a life and break some cycles. So as we think about the new year and we think about things like resolutions and I'm going to be sober for 30 days and, you know, that kind of thing, like this is a different kind of a resolution, right? Do you see people commonly having several false starts where even in the attempt to resolve things, it's not on a deep enough level or it's not the right kind of a a resolution so that things just fall back to how they were. Yeah, Sarah, now now we're getting into something that I love talking about because most of the time we try to and I'm going to use the word fix because um if I feel broken I believe I have to fix myself. Mm-hmm. We really know what I really know is we're not broken and we don't need to be fixed but the idea that I fix the broken part of myself with a behavior if I could just lose 5 pounds if I could just make more Thanks. money all all the things you listed right and then the collective consciousness is like okay everyone do this it's January 1 let's all like have a better life. So what we're talking about is let's, we can do all of that. Ultimately though, the deeper resolution is I'm going to learn how to love myself. I'm going to learn how to care for myself. 
I'm going to do the deeper work of healing because, for example, in our culture now, we talk a lot about removing toxicity, remove toxic work environments, remove toxic relationships. If we haven't healed those deep core core false beliefs about ourselves, we're going to keep choosing those situations. Now, I want to be careful because I had someone say they think I'm I'm victim blaming. So I'm I'm definitely not because what I'm saying is if if I believe I'm broken, I'm going to unconsciously choose situations to confirm that. That's actually the great news. Once I'm aware, I'm doing it. So it's actually not blaming myself because blame is a low um, a lower frequency. It's not bad. It's just a lower frequency. Um, If I'm blaming myself for that, I'm going to be stuck. Instead, let me realize that the deeper healing is returning to something that's truer than those core false beliefs. The truth is I'm an infinite being. The truth is I am worthy of love. As I start to heal that through some of the inner child work, through the reparenting, through the coming up with different core conclusions about ourselves, we start to realize that the relationships actually start to heal as I start to heal. So in other words, the the resolution isn't let me lose five pounds. The resolution is let me be more in tune with my body and what is required. Let me be more in tune with my spirit and what I'm seeking and my emotions and allow myself to have the safety to feel. When I start to do that deeper work, the externals start to match up. It might not happen instantly, but we're going to unplug from the outer, the out picturing and plug back into our deeper Uh, awareness of who we really are. If I could take that snippet right there and post that all over, I want to break the internet with what you just said. Let's do it. Let's Let's break the damn internet because (laughs) I don't know one single person that doesn't need to hear what you just said. And if I see one more, you know, 30 days to this, two weeks to that, 21 day cleanse, right? Like it's all just fluff. It's all just trying to make ourselves temporarily feel better. And wherever we go, there we are, right? Okay. We lost the five pounds and guess what, you know, um, and it's not going to be sustainable and it's also not going to fix what's underneath the hood either. And that's it. <sighs> right? Because I thought if I could manifest everything on my vision board, I would be happy. And every January I did the vision board because that's what I was taught to do. And then every, you know, February 1st, I'm like, oh, it felt so heavy because I was either, either I was manifesting it and it didn't change the way I felt or I was struggling to manifest it. But either way, it's what you just said. It's like, once I get, that's the destination addiction. Once I get this, I will be free. Once I get there, I will be happy. Once I find someone that can actually be present for me, um, One of my early mentors said something at the time. I was so angry, so angry. She said, if someone showed up right now and was fully available to love you, you wouldn't even be able to say yes. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, 20 years later, I look back and realize what she was saying. And I'll say it slightly differently. If I believe I'm unlovable, I will unconsciously choose someone to support that belief. It doesn't necessarily mean they're bad people. My early 20s, I was in a relation, a series of relationships with different unavailable men. They were wonderful humans. 
but they could not possibly be more unavailable because it's what I believe I deserved. So no amount of communication skills, no amount of, you know, dating apps. We didn't have apps back then, but none of that is going to heal the deeper wounds that are required to be healed. What is the phrase you just said? Destination. Destination addiction. Okay. Destination addiction. And isn't that like what every midlife crisis is about, right? You wake up, you're middle-aged and you go, well, shit, I have the wife, the car, the, you know, the, the 2.5 kids, the job, the, this, the, that, and I'm still not happy. That's right. Yeah. It's in my, in my newest book, Conscious Creation, it's really about all of this. And I, I use two different characters in the book to demonstrate the difference between manifestation and doing the deeper healing. And the character, it's interesting, um, Sarah, because the character's name is Sasha and she's a lawyer and her core false belief is I'm not worthy. And so her strategy, albeit unconscious, was to get another degree, to make partner in the law firm. and to Is this about me? Is Sasha really Sarah? You can tell the truth. <laughs> Except for we, we never met. So I don't know before I wrote it. So maybe, but it's, it's an archetype, right? Because there's so much of that in our culture and there's so much support for it. We get so much praise for getting the next degree, for working 18 hours a day. You know, we, it's like, it's like the, our culture celebrates that. And in, in the book, what happens with Sasha is she doesn't get the partner. She doesn't mm-hmm. get made partner. Someone else gets it and her, her whole world unravels. Yep. Right. And the deeper work for her is to say, what is the original, what originally happened? Even if it's something so seemingly small um, as like in in the book, what I, you know, and this is kind of a combination of different people I know, but not you, Sarah, because I hadn't. Okay. All right. (laughs) Disclaimer. (laughs) Although that's very interesting, Sasha, Sarah, you know. Well, I was going to say my childhood trauma played itself out as hyper achieving, right? Like, because gymnasts, perfect. Go to an Ivy league school, go to law school, get your MBA because a JD isn't enough, right? Like I was that hyper, hyper achiever like Sasha. (laughs) Yeah. And and in Sasha's case, it was, it was her parents that really wanted her to achieve as a child. And when she would get a lot of praise for getting straight A's and she came home with a B and no one said anything. Yeah. Yeah. Something that seemingly small can be a significant event because she was like, oh, I only get love if I'm perfect. Oh, well, she really is me. (laughs) She really is me. And I think so many people can relate to that. And I love what you just said too, for anybody listening, it doesn't have to be some enormous childhood trauma, which has led to your severe addiction today, right? It could be something so small where you adopted that core belief um, and have played it out ever since and don't want to feel your damn feelings, right? That's right. and and to name what, what that's really about, and we've already talked about it some, but like, it wasn't safe for the four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, or seven-year-old. And so, of course, we closed down or we, you know, developed whatever brilliant strategy, look goodism, high achieving, all of that, you know, gets developed really early in life. And so those, those strategies and those patterns um, are usually unconscious. So we start with, creating inner safety. 
I am just mind blown. I can say this. This is my favorite episode of this year. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's so perfect. This is my favorite interview of this year as well. Although I already have spoken in in 2023. I'm winning, but I, I, this could be one of my favorite interviews of all time. I really deeply mean that. And I think it's something everybody needs to listen to. Um, you mentioned your book, Conscious Recovery. Um, tell me about how people find you, how people are going to say, oh my gosh, how do we get our hands on TJ? What do we do? We want more. We want to hear more. What What should people do? tjwoodward.com. That's mm-hmm. the best place to start. Um, or on Instagram, tjwoodward underscore. And that's where you can learn about my different books, my different online programs. And really, you know, the the, the work, and I'm using air quotes, your, your listeners can't see that, but um, the work is really a returning to our true nature. And mm-hmm. so um, that really has become my life's mission. And so tjwoodward.com is a place where you can find resources to help you return to who you really be. I love that because we've talked so much about the deeper work and I'm sitting here going, I want to do it. Tell me how TJ Woodward. Um, And I saw on tjwoodward.com, there are videos, there are, you know, other interviews you've done on different podcasts and things. And then of course, links to your work and your books um, and conscious recovery is on Amazon and it is in my cart and it is coming to me. Um, And I love all also knowing that you're doing, um, you do online courses. So somebody could actually um, have that experience too, which um, bring on the deeper work. There's no time like 2023, you guys, um, because what we do know is it will catch up with us. And eventually Um, we can only stuff it down for so long and it will fight and fight and fight um, to rear its head Um, whether we do the work or not. So let's all do the work. We can do it together. We can support each other. And now we have our fearless leader, TJ Woodward, um, to help guide us. TJ, you're a gem. And I hope this is just the beginning of a beautiful friendship. You are welcome back here anytime. And I'm so excited to um, to take some of your courses and to continue to cheer you on. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Sarah. I feel the same way. I feel like we've reconnected from a different time and kindred spirit. So, so thank you. Thank you. And gosh, we could talk for hours. So I'm so appreciative and for everyone listening, thank you for having the courage to be in this conversation. And you know, what I always like to say in closing is if no one's told you today, you are a whole and perfect being and whatever's happened to you is not who and what you really are. I love that. See you guys next week on Bar Fights. Thank you for listening to Bar Fights with attorney Sarah Klein taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.